The scripture reading for today comes from Luke 1, verse 26 through 35, or 55. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived the son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all the generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the reading of the word. All right. Uh, Good morning (laughs) and uh, welcome to Risen. Um, I'm glad you are here worshiping with us. We're a four month old church plant. This is our first uh, Christmas Sunday, right? Uh, We made it. (laughs) We're we're going through our first season of Advent Um, and Advent is the Latin word for the coming. And so the first four Sundays in December, we've been meditating on the coming of Jesus to this world 2000 years ago and what that means for us today. You know, two Sundays ago, we covered the passage where God uh, told Joseph that his wife Mary was carrying in her womb the Son of God. And so we talked about the incarnation, 
Uh, God becoming flesh, God becoming human, becoming one of us. And then last Sunday, we took a look at uh, the birth of Jesus Christ as the king and what that means for us today. Well, today we're going to take a look at Mary. We haven't really taken a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to take a look at three things here. We're going to take a look at Mary's encounter with the angel. Then we'll take a look at Mary's encounter with Elizabeth. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at Mary's encounter with God. So first, Mary's encounter with the angel. Right? Our passage starts off with an angel telling Mary that she is favored. She is blessed. God is with you. And he, the angel says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be the great, uh, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and his kingdom will have no end. But our text tells us that Mary was greatly troubled when she heard this news. She tried to discern what kind of greeting, what kind of conversation this was. You know, this Greek word for greatly troubled actually means to be startled, uh, to be shocked with, with, with um, unexpected news. Mary's world here is getting rocked. She could never have seen this coming. She can't comprehend it. She doesn't know what to do with it. She's having trouble accepting this. If she has a child, right, uh, people will know that Jesus was not born nine months after they got married. And so people will think that Mary was unfaithful or that, you know, um, uh, they, they consummated before the wedding. And, and in a shame and honor society like Israel, they would be outcasts. Right? Mary is being rocked to the very core. You know, I think that sometimes uh, when we look at the Bible, when we look at ancient history, um, maybe we believe that, that people were naive and they were gullible and, and they believed anything. Anything they saw as a coincidence was, was God, was supernatural. But on the other hand, we also sometimes say, look, well, if God would show, show up to me like that, I would totally believe in him. But look at Mary. She's experienced an, an encounter with God here, and, and she's not naive on one hand. She's not just rushing towards this and leaving her entire family and going for this. But at the same time, uh, she's not fully convinced. She's had an, a, a supernatural experience with God, but she's not fully convinced. She's thinking, is this real? What's going on here? And the Greek word for discern means to uh, analyze. It's, it's a legal term in the ancient Near East. It means to uh, examine. It's what lawyers did back then, it, to find out the truth. And so she's discerning. She's, she's trying to find out the truth. What's going on here? You see, Mary is skeptical, uh, but she's not completely writing this off. Uh, on the one hand, you know, uh, she's not turning her mind off. She's, she's not blindly following. She's thoughtful. But on the other hand, she's not dismissive. You see, she's, she doesn't stop the conversation. She doesn't say this is utterly ridiculous. She's asking for information. She, she's willing to learn. She's wondering, is there truth here? Friends, you see, Christianity uh, is not about blind faith. It's about um, a discerning faith. It's about an analyzing faith. It's about a faith that asks questions. It's about finding out what is true in this world about life, about meaning and purpose, why we're here, what's, what's true, what's, what's, what's worth getting up for. 
And Mary shows us here that responding in faith is, is, is a whole period, person experience. You know, it doesn't just include the heart. You know, I think as we sing songs as we, and, and as we pray, you know, our heart can get moved. But at the same time, Mary's faith does not bypass the intellect. She's, she's using the mind that God has given her. So she's asking questions just as we must today if we want to have faith in God and follow him. Now the question Mary asks is, how can this be? That's what she says to Angel. I'm a virgin. How can this be? And it's, a, it's just a nice way of saying that's impossible. Right? That's crazy. Never. And then in verse 35, the angel responds and uh, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child you will bear uh, will be called the Son of God. And Elizabeth is also pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. What is the angel saying here? Essentially, what the angel is saying, Mary, I know you have a certain way of doing things. I know your experience in the past and what you have expected and maybe how you were raised led you to think that this is how life would be. But Mary, you don't control God. That's what, essentially what the angel is saying. Mary is saying, how can this be? And the angel is saying, oh, it's going to be. You know, many of us, I think, um, we may not have a problem believing in God that we can tame or that we can control. You know, uh, he operates within, within our realm of security and comfort and expectations. And this is for us to create a God uh, we want, a God in our image. But in this paradigm, God adjusts to our plan and not really the other way around. And if you think about it, that's not a God, that, that's just a genie. And Mary thought the same way. You see, Mary was just like us. You know, as I was studying uh, the passages of the Gospels and the birth of Jesus and the family of Jesus, the more I came to realize, man, Mary and Joseph were regular Joes and Janes. They were normal folk. Like so many of us, they had dreams of their future lives. You know, maybe Mary thought, I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have a house like this in, in this place. We're going to have children. They're going to grow up. We're going to live happily ever after. But God has a different plan for her. And she's realizing right now in this moment that she's not the one in control. God is. You know, author Tim Keller says this in his book, Hidden Christmas, and I had this up here. Um, uh, he says this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is really 93 million miles, but if we just made it a small project, was no more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. The diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of paper over 300 miles high. And that's only for making this reality a small project and saying, you know, the distance of the earth to the sun is a sheet of paper. Keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than we can number. It seems more than dust specks in the air or grains of the sand on the seashores. Now, if Jesus Christ holds all of this together with just a word of his power, you see the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant. Friends, when God reveals himself to you, yes, he does reveal himself to you in love. He does reveal himself to you in grace and forgiveness and strength. But he also reveals himself to you as the king of the universe. What other God should we expect? 
And Mary understood this afterwards in verse 38. She ends their interaction by saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, by looking at Mary's process, I think we can learn a lot for our own faith journeys. Right? Mary shows us that the faith journey, the relationship with God, is a dialogical process. You know, we pursue truth and we ask questions and then God's word speaks into it. We ask follow-up questions and then God's word speaks into it again. And so maybe you're here and you're processing Christianity or how God maybe fits into your life. And you've got questions, but you've also got fears, but you want to learn. You're seeking Jesus. Friends, that's the spirit of Christmas. Longing, searching for truth, searching for meaning and purpose. But there's more. Right after this encounter, verse 39 tells us that Mary gets up and she went with haste to Elizabeth, right? She hurried to Elizabeth. And we learn very, very essential here about the Christian life and the Christian faith um, in the second point. And that's spiritual camaraderie, right? Spiritual sisterhood. Spiritual brotherhood. Mary has initially accepted what God is doing in her life, but she's, she's struggling with what this means for her. She's struggling to move forward. She's struggling to see how this uh, could be a good thing, a blessed thing. And she doesn't see until she gets into fellowship with another sister. She goes to Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth affirms what the angel said. And this gives Mary the boldness, the courage, and the faith that she needed. Right? Not only is Elizabeth affirming what Mary was not sure of, but Mary is essentially saying, look, Mary, I'm going to carry the knowledge of this burden with you. I'm here for you. We're going to do this together. Mary's not alone, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And this is extremely important because, friends, we can't find God and, and we can't experience him outside of community, right? Outside of what the Bible calls the body of Christ. You know, you don't, you don't, have you tried to give yourself advice? That doesn't work. You look in the mirror, Rich, you're going to do this? You know, it's like, dude, am I, am I just trying to fool myself? But when someone comes into you and says, hey, look, I know you had a big blowout with your, with your spouse, but, you know, God forgives you. God forgives your spouse. He loves both of you. He knows that this was going to happen. You didn't surprise him. Let's pray. That's completely different, isn't it? So often the word and encouragement uh, from God we need comes through a brother and sister in Christ. You know, let me, let me uh, just give one example here. You know, when Jen and I felt called to plant uh, a church, you know, we didn't know if this was uh, a hallucination or from God. Uh, so we talked to people. We talked to our spiritual brothers and sisters, our mentors. We talked to other church planters and their wives, right? We talked to our denominational church planting board. And, and there's this wide range of feedback, right? Some people said you should stay at your current church because it's more of a stable bet, right? Uh, you know, it's established. You know, change is hard. Starting something new, starting new church, gathering people, that's hard. So, you know, some people said that. Other people said, hey, you know, if you consider planting in this city, you know, we're looking for a church planter or that city, you know, we can provide you with funding. Another, another group said, hey, you know what, why don't you come at our church if you're looking for a change? But, you know, we're not just looking for a change. We're not just looking for funding. You know, uh, we're just not looking for something stable. 
You know, the feedback that resonated with us as we talked to people and as God was gathering this group of people was this passion for Jesus' mission in the Bay Area. You see, it was this conviction for, for planting gospel-centered churches in lacking cities. It wasn't based on fear, but on faith. Right? You can always find a reason not to do something. Right? There's always fear. You know, fear is a tactic that everyone likes to use. Right? If you don't do this, you're going to get fired. If you don't do this, we're gonna, our company is going to blow up. You know, we're not going to get a good bonus. There's fear is a very, very you know, common tactic that people use. But in the scriptures, we see that it's not fear that God uses to draw people to him. It's love. Right? First John says, perfect love casts out fear. Right? The love of God casts out fear and gives us faith. And so, you know, and, and, and as we were, my wife and I, were, we were anxious, but others came in. They prayed with us. You know, they, we talked about what God was calling us to do, how we, how we desperately needed God to show up, and, and the pieces of the puzzle sort of came together, right? God brought Harry and Lauren. God brought a launch team. There was, there was passion. There was fellowship. There was faith. And, 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 and what we see here in Mary and Elizabeth is this beautiful picture of spiritual fellowship. A coming together of people who don't have all the answers, but they're trusting in God. They're looking for answers in the word. They're praying to him. And I believe that no one is ever the same when that happens. You know, when Mary hears this affirmation and encouragement from Elizabeth, she goes from fear how can this be? To faith. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God the Savior. You know, friends, this means that at the end of the day, we were never meant to be a council of one. Right? I know maybe sometimes the culture of society values that, right? The, the lone ranger, the one who has all the answers, the one who always comes through in the clutch. But when it comes to life, when it comes to Man, the will of God for us, uh, we need each other. We need each other's vantage points. We need to be reminded of who God is and what he's done in the past and what he's doing now. Um, and it's only together that we can see Jesus more truly. This is the spirit of Christmas, right? Searching for truth, but with others. Spiritual companionship. This brings us to the last thing we see here. Uh, Mary's encounter with God. Right after Mary sees Elizabeth, there's this revolution that happens. Uh, you know, the, the things that she's been thinking through, her, her, her growing understanding of the God of the Bible, it's sort of coming together, and there's this explosion of faith. You know, as I was sharing with someone, you know, there, you know, um, you know people ask me occasionally, hey, what are you preaching on this Sunday? You know, and I say, w are you not going to come? <laughs> but, but, you know, it's cool. You know, you want, you want a trailer. I get it. It's like Star Wars, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, and I said, oh, I'm preaching on Luke 1, this and that. And, you know, that person read it and was like, and I was like, <laughs> I was like what do you think? <laughs> you know, and they were like, wow, what faith? You know, what, what faith? Um, man, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit, you know, Mary is not saying, look, I think this could add value to my life. Right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think, I think church is... I think, yeah. Or, you know, this is just what I, I need to reach my goals. Yeah, I need that positivity, you know. And, man, work is, man, I'm doing so much better at work now. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what she's saying, right? Uh, there's nothing calculated about it here. She's not weighing the costs and benefits, then deciding to do something and 
on the fence. You know, uh, she's, she's not adding Jesus to her life. You know, she's captivated. She's caught up entirely. Uh, her thinking is convinced. Her feelings have been won over, and she's gladly surrendering. She's being changed by God in her very core, in her very center, in her very depths. Have you seen a fanatic of sports? You know, um, when you see them outside of sports, they look completely normal, right? And then you see them watch a game and like this completely other person captivated everything. They're shaken to the depths. It's as if, you know, they're, they're, they're praising, you know, the, the athlete. And, and, and there's this, this, man, there's this faith in this team that they're going to deliver them, right? Now, this is life here. Mary is saying, this, man, this God, he has captured my whole center of, of my being. I've been shaken to the depths. But what is it about God that captured her, right? Well, there's a lot of this uh, in this statement of faith of hers, but I want to specifically, specifically focus on two things, what she says in verse 49 and 50. She says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So I want to focus on holy, God's holiness, and his mercy. And I love this time of year, right? I love the weather. Um, there's this interchange between the rain that cleanses and then in the morning the sun sort of breaking through the clouds, you know, saying it's a new day. Um, I love that sort of pattern, you know, when it's always, I used to live in Southern California, it's all sunny. I never knew what month it was. You know, I was, I was like, what is it, man? Is it June? They're like, no, it's December. I'm like, oh, snaps, you know? Why, what am I wearing right now? Come on, I got to change, go back in, right? Uh, but, you know, and I think people are generally in a better mood right? Uh, because we're, we're, we're not working. Right? So, so, so we're, we're look, we're, we have this break. We're spending time with family and friends. We're eating good food. We're, uh, we're laughing a lot. You know, we're uh, going on vacations. We're watching movies. We don't have to worry about work for a week. And if you listen to some of the Christmas songs, you know, they're almost sort of overly sentimental. Um, you know, I, I did some research, you know, uh, and uh, I have this song up here. It's called Silver Bells. You guys may have heard of but, right, this is what it says, right? Uh, city sidewalks, busy sidewalks dressed in a holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every straight corner, you'll hear, I, I cut it off. Okay, sorry. No, that, that's the next song. Okay, right? right? So, right, there's this saying here, right, that you hear children laughing, people smiling after smile. Uh, a little overly sentimental because, you know, Jen and I went shopping yesterday and uh, there was a severe lacking of uh, laughing children. Um, they were mainly crying as their parents were dragging them alongside. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no such thing as smiling drivers in the Bay Area, right? Um, you're right? People were stressed out, right? And uh, there's these lyrics from uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It says this, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, your troubles will be miles away. This is fascinating, isn't it? You know, um, I love Christmas songs, but I never really have, like, listened to the lyrics, right? Um, but underneath these songs, there is this longing for joy, uninterrupted joy. There is this longing for peace. And, and, and these songs, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make us forget about the world's brokenness. There's, there's an escapism here, you see? But Mary's song is entirely different 
uh, she's not escaping. She's dealing with the br- real like, brutality of life. You know? uh, she's dealing with pain and suffering and death. And, and, you know, and she says, God, you're holy, though. You care about the brokenness in this world. You're righteous. It's another way of saying righteous. Essentially, it's, it's another way of saying you are the perfect and just judge. Right? And the word holy here in the scripture, what it really means is God, um, he's, he's opposed to sin. He's opposed to evil. He's opposed to the brokenness in this world. He'll never get used to it. And I think one of the problems is that we get used to it. We get used to sin. Uh, you know, we get used to um, sort of uh, marketing ourselves and self-aggrandizing ourselves, right, all the time. Um, uh, we're used to greed. We get used to corruption on the news. You know, we get used to people trying to cheat us. We never trust any someone who's trying to sell us something, right? Unless you're my wife. <laughs> you know, stay away from her, okay? <laughs> um, we're used to lying. We're used to slurs, right? We're used to gossip. It's a form of friendship sometimes. We get used to sin. But, but what it means that God is holy is that he will never get used to that. He'll never be able to forget and escape about the world's problems and the world's brokenness. He's not a romantic. He's holy. But he doesn't just write overly sentimental songs. I know that some of us may think, oh, these songs are overly sentimental. But if you look to the word, he doesn't run uh, uh, to escapism. He, he is the just judge of the entire universe. He says, you know, I'm holy. I care. He's going to do something about it. He has to. You know, he has to. Uh, right after Mary says, God, you're holy, though, she says, you're also merciful. So Mary understands that no one could stand before God's holy justice. Everyone's broken. This isn't just for people out there. This is for Mary. This is for her. She says, you're merciful, you're merciful to me. She knows she's not perfect. She's, you know, she, she's seen the effects of her own sin with her family, with her husband. Mary knows she needs mercy before a holy God. So how does this mercy come? Let me just end with this. You know, if you're at fault in a car accident with a stranger, they'll want justice. You know, you say, hey, look, man, I'm so sorry. Can you just let me off this one time? Please forgive me. They're like, no, dude, right? Um, I'm coming after you. Give me your insurance card. Give me your driver's license. I want your address, registration, VIN number. Let me take a photo of your face, right? If their car is undrivable, you'll have to pay for their costs. The punishment must fit the crime. That's what justice is. But let's take a different example. Let's say you get into, uh, you're at fault in a car accident with your mother or father. What, what will happen then? What do you get? You'll get mercy. Right? They're not going to say, give me your insurance card. I'm going to call your insurance company. Right? I'm going to sue you. I got some neck pain. I'm going to sue you, right? They're not going to do that. They're not going to let your insurance hike up. They'll pay it themselves. They'll take the punishment for your crime. Justice will be upheld, but it's because they will absorb the cost. They will take the judgment. Legally, you get to act like you're not a bad driver. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Legally, you get to, it's like as if your slate is clean. And you see, true mercy is, is not justice withheld, right? True mercy is judgment withheld, right? Because, you know, 
uh, this sense of justice is given to us by God, you know? Like, we should feel a sense of justice when someone is wrong. But we have a choice to act on that or not, right? And so in our relation with God, it's as if we incur these infinite amount of unjust sort of moral crashes of sin upon him, you know, um, in how we treat him and, and how we treat others. But as our heavenly father, not just our earthly parent, he gives us mercy because Jesus takes the payment, the cost, the judgment of our sins. Jesus on the cross got our judgment, and we get mercy, we get forgiveness. You see, when God looks at us, it's as if our slate is clean. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine, uh, you know, looking at, you know, someone who's betrayed you, maybe a friend, maybe an employee, maybe a family member, and never ever letting that affect your relationship with that person ever again. And being so full of trust, being so full of love, right? When God looks at us, it's as, it's as if our slate is clean. The God who can never forget, forgets. And he does this with every single one of us. And friends, imagine if we had this spirit with one another. And this is the spirit of Christmas. It's the spirit, not just, it's the spirit of forgiveness. It's the spirit of grace and mercy and compassion. And when we get this, like Mary, we'll, we'll just be filled with this humble amazement, this, you know, this undeserving indebtedness, this wonder and gratitude, and, and we can face our brokenness, not, with, not, with, not by running to escapism, but we can face our brokenness with real hope and real joy and real strength and real love because God has done the impossible. He has forgiven us. He has loved us and he is resurrecting our hearts. This is the, the, the faith, the, the power, the joy of Christmas, and it changes everything. Just read the, I just want to read uh, this last. Did I have it up here? It's, I just want to read this in land. It's just so powerful. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Friends, our prayer, Lord, is that this would captivate us, that this would change us, that this would overthrow us in the very center of our being and, and shake us to the depths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we love uh, the Christmas season. It's, oh man, it's, it's good to just relax. It's good to see old faces. It's good to be with close friends and family. And, but at the same time, um, the true joy of Christmas is that uh, everything we do here stems from what you did for us. And so our, our relationships, um, our activity during Christmas can extend beyond just refreshment for ourselves. It means that you are challenging us to be the salt and light for grace and mercy 
into this world. You are wanting to develop and bubble up in us uh, this unconditional, undeserving love we have from the Father and allow us to lift us up out of our brokenness and, and, and where we may run to find our joy and our purpose and love, which is ultimately a broken cistern. Lord, you are the source of life. You are love itself, as 1 John says. And you want to stir in us and in our families, in our relationships, in our personal identity, in our personal crises. You want to stir in us who we are. We are children of God. And what you've made us for, to enjoy you and to glorify you, to honor your name.